Number Nation podcast. You are tuning in to part two of our Trial All-Star series with Keith Mitnick, The Art of Outsmarting. So I have a quick question for you. Uh, John Romano, who I'm sure is a good friend of yours, a fellow fellow Floridian, um, he mentioned that something that really frustrates him is a lot of lawyers tell him, oh, you know, I'd be better in trial, but I can't get to trial. There's no way you can get to trial. I think that you probably have some thoughts on this topic as well. You know why most people think they can't get to trial? Because honestly, and I, God, I hate to sound critical because I've been there. So anything, I never say you're doing this if I hadn't done it myself. Um, I don't talk down to people. I talk across to people. I share with people what I've learned through maybe doing things wrong and figuring out better ways to do them. A lot of not trying more cases, not all of it, but a lot of it is that you look at your case and this isn't the one to try because it's got too many problems. And you're waiting for that perfect case to try. And there is not a perfect case. Life is messy. Trials are about life. They're messy. Every case has got shit in them. I mean, they just do. There's always a way to lose them. Most of them have multiple ways you can lose them. And if you will honestly read the section on wannabe problems in Deeper Cuts and and see how much fun it is knocking those problems down, the byproduct of that is your confidence level in taking the case to trial goes through the ceiling. In cases that would have gone in the discount bin, I'm never trying this, you're chomping at the bit to try. Nothing changed other than how you viewed them. And now you have a way to not, it's not just rose colored glasses. You know, I used to say when I was a young lawyer, I was like a, like a, a, a Labrador puppy. And I just ran around, got my nose smacked by newspapers because I didn't know better. Now I'm a Doberman pincher and I'm parading, you know, the borderline of the property and no one's smacking my nose. I'll take their hand off. I kind of was had more fun before, but, you got to get to this point. And the point is part of that becoming the Doberman is I'm not that thing that you think scary to me is not scary to me anymore. Not because I'm experienced because I've figured out it's a trick. Most of their stuff that scares you are tricks. And most plaintiffs lawyers started defense. So they learned all those things were your great facts. Every time you found someone had a, uh, not a lot of visible property damage, they didn't go to the hospital right away. They got gaps in treatment. They had prior crashes and been to chiropractors before. Whatever. I'm doing it off the car crash because that's got such global impact. I could do it on med mal products, any kind of case. But we you came out of the defense side and those were cause for celebration. You're going to win. Now you're on the plaintiff side. What do you think? Oh, that's how I'm going to lose. I can't try that case. If you wait to have a case that doesn't have all that, you're going to wait a long time. (laughs) Because all the cases have them. You say, well, why is my client just got a herniation you can't see? Well, because, and and not a lot of visible property damage. Because if it was a mangled pile of metal on the side of the road crash, it's probably a death case. It's not a herniation case. And guess what? The death case is going to have a problem too. So, So when you change your mind frame from, I can't take that one to trial. Too good a chance of losing. That's a settler. I'm waiting for one worth trying. You're going to wait forever. Cut when you get there. Look, there's a case you don't want to try. Your client got caught in 50 lies. 
They said they never had a crash before and they had surgery a month before your crash, you know, for a crash. I mean, that's a problem. Get it settled. But most of these things I just listed that people go, oh, my God, they got surveillance and they're mowing a yard. They got surveillance and they're unloading a big thing, a big truck, a U-Haul. Did they say they couldn't unload a U-Haul? If they did, settle it. If they say, they, no way I could mow long, settle it. If they didn't, and it's just that they don't look hurt, try it. Because it that's a they're tricking you into think that's a bad case. This is not the kind of injury you can judge from an external observation. But it doesn't mean it's fake. You judge it with MRI. You judge it with clinical correlations and feeling, feeling uh, muscle spasms. You absolutely can prove your case. They're tricking you into straw man arguing and believing if you can't see it, it must not be hurt. Well, you can't judge all books by a cover. You got to look on the inside with this one, and we're going to show you the inside. So when you realize that, you go, wait a minute. I don't have a lot of visible property damage. No big deal. I'm happy to try that case. My client didn't go to the doctor for two days. No big deal. My client had priors. No big deal. My clients got surveillance, but it's not lying that they just look active. Well, they are active. It's the truth. No big deal. And when you realize those aren't reasons not to try cases, everything I just listed, I got a six and a four million dollar verdict during COVID on those cases. And I promise you, most people having the discount bin, you can't try that case. It's just realizing those we have been fooled into believing those cases are bad cases. And if you worked on the defense side, you weren't even fooled. It's just what you learned. And I'm telling you, they're not. And I don't, I wish we had all day. I'd give you a bunch of examples, but I promise you go read it. And you go, he, yeah, he sounds good. He's talking a big game. I bet when I read that, I'm going to call BS on. You're going to read him and go, they aren't problems. They're just not. It's just a change. It's just, I've fought through them. I've looked at them and I went, wait a minute, that's not a problem. And it's not me kidding myself. I've done it over and over in front of juries. It's not a problem. So that I can't get to trial. If you start expanding the universes of cases that are in your inventory that are triable, you don't get a trial. So sticking with trial, Keith, you mentioned earlier that you do about 16 trials a year. What are some of the routines that you have when you're prepping and you're in trial? And then what's maybe the biggest thing that is different about your life uh, when you're in trial versus when you're not in trial? The last one's the good news. The downside of being in trial is the lack of sleep. I mean, there's if I've said this once, I've said it a thousand times. If I just add another hour and I know people that during the work and you should, if you're a runner run during trial, you need the peace. If you work out, go to the gym. I'm always like, if I got another hour, my ass is getting an hour of sleep. Um, so I, I don't always fall out and have to go back to working out and run as soon as it's over. Every now and I work one in. So no sleep is the hell of trial. Now, let me tell you the heaven of trial. The world stops revolving around you. All those little problems of trial, all those nagging, you know, your assistant asking you questions about something that's a, it, they're doing their job to ask you, but it's one of those things that's low on your worry list. And now it's way on your worry list. And I got to find time to do this. And that all of that being pulled in a thousand directions. You know, I don't have young kids, but you got young kids. Spouses will understand you're in trial. You get a chance to just do this, one, not completely, but damn near this one thing for a week or two. 
It's so wonderful to just have one thing to deal with. Um, and it's what we were born to do. So you're in your place. People say, why do you try so many cases? Doesn't it wear you out? I say, listen, I'm a really nice person. I'm a good husband and as good as I can be dad. Um, but I'm not special at a lot of things. I, I, I don't even golf anymore. I was so terrible at it. Um, you know, I got a guitar. I, I would never let anyone, whether my wife or me play it, I'm pathetic on it. You know, if I sing, it's even worse. So I'm not good at a lot of stuff. I'm really good at one thing. Why would I not want to do that thing? When I'm in a courtroom, I feel special. When I'm out, I don't feel special. My wife makes me feel special, but I don't, I, 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 not, I don't, my, other than her making me feel that way, I don't. So why wouldn't I want to be in the place that makes me feel good about myself? So courtroom is a wonderful place once you get comfortable there. So if we're going to just ex learn, you, you're going to be sleepless. You sleep. When I was young, I'd sleep in Saturday. I'd be fine. Now I'm like a train hit me for two or three days. But the trade off, the courtroom to me is one of my favorite places in the world. If I go three weeks out of trial, I'm going crazy. Um, so. So the, start, go back to your question. That was you had two pieces, the courtroom and. Yeah. So like the routines when you're in private oh, routines, yeah. Mine are a little different because I come in late. One of the other reasons I can try so many cases, I'm not having to do all the heavy lifting and working them up. I'm not doing the jury instructions and the interrogatories and the depositions and all that. I did. Trust me. I did many years. I paid my dues. But for the last 15, 20, I'm, I'm a trial specialist. But I will share with you a piece of it that isn't unique to me that I really think is helpful to anybody getting ready for trial. And it's two things. Don't treat the discovery phase, the workup phase, like discovery. Because what is discovery? Boring. What is it? Trudgery. I just want to get through this. So I go try a case. Well, that's a miserable existence because 80% of your time, most lawyers, is in the workup phase. So you, you don't want to, I never, I, I've been teaching our lawyers in our office. Don't call it discovery. You immediately think bad. It's like saying, don't say accident, say crash. Accidents happen. Don't say discovery. It's boring. Say workup phase. Because you know what's exciting that's not in the courtroom? That week before trial or weekend before trial where you're all together sharing ideas, getting ready, talking about how you're going to kick their ass. And that, that last minute trial prep is part of the fun of a trial. It's hard work, but it's fun work. If you in the mental state, all of this is pre-trial workup. It is not discovery. You'll have more fun and you'll be better at it. You go take a depot. Everything to take in their experts depot is for two things and anything else is a waste of time. It is you don't want to be caught with your pants down. So we're making sure we don't get surprised or ambushed. And secondly, is setting up for trial two things, sound bites for opening statement that are so good you can tell them an opening, or you're going to save it for cross-examination of that witness. And it isn't a big rambling answer. You fought and fought and fought to get it down to a sound bite that's usable. You wouldn't fight to get it. It's three-page answer with it buried in there. You'd go away if you think discovery, oh, I got a good answer, because you're not thinking about how it's going to be used. When you think about how it's going to be used, then you cut it down and cull it down and stay with it till you get the sound bite. Why? Because I know that is a gold mine. I just made a better opening today from that depot. 
I just got a cross of this witness that's going to work from that depot because I got my sound bites. And while I was in there, I made sure I knew what was coming at me so I wouldn't be surprised. If you think of it that way, you get ready different. It's fun. It's not a check it off the box. It's an opportunity to be a badass lawyer. So part of the, the trial prep is, remember, six months earlier, it's still trial prep. And you'll do better at it and have more fun at it. The last thing is, I'm a big believer in using um, transcript pad. Now, you got to have an iPad. I don't know why these people could make so much more money if you could run it off a laptop or your iPhone, but you, they, it only works on a, on, or a smartphone. It only works on an iPad. But it's worth getting an iPad for. It is a great program. And then you get transcripts of depositions. Always get them in the TXT form. If it comes in the, uh, or ASCII, if it comes, if someone sends you a PDF, the program doesn't work on it. And the beauty of it is you can go through and you put subject, you scroll through it and you tap this from this line to this line. And then it pops up and asks you to put a tab. What, what are you going to call it? Red light. Next one, speed. You know, next one, um, weather conditions, whatever. And as you go, they keep popping up the ones you've already done. So you don't even have to recreate them. So you find new things and you tap them. As you go, you just this blind to this and you tap over here and it, it attaches that title to it. But you always have the option to keep adding new titles. When you're done, you press report, create a report. It now throws everything you didn't tab out and it sorts everything under red light. Every single one you tabbed on red light will be in one section on red lights verbatim page and line. To me, it's such a time saver from the old way I prepared, which was I'd open up the transcript. I'd sit with a legal pad. I'd make an outline of everything in. Then I would go back. No, first I would read through with a highlighter and hit everything of interest. Then I would go back to the highlighted and make my outline. Then I would go back to the outline and put numbers like number one would be red light. Da, da, da. Here's another one. And, here, and then I got all this shit. And then you had to, what are you going to do with it? Now you got to start all over and reshuffle. It was hours and hours. It's all done in one pass through. So that transcript pad is such a time saver. And the other thing is in preparing for trial, the natural part is to figure out what all your good facts are, what I call putting your best foot forward. But you always, you know what happens to the person who put their best foot forward? If someone trips them, it's called a stumbling block. And you had beautiful three steps. Now you're on your nose and they pass you. So always remember when you're preparing for trial. I focus so much on opening statement because all of the studies say minds are made up right after opening or very close to it. And you never can think of opening as I'm going to have a great opening. It's not good enough when you're done and pat yourself on the back and you take a bathroom break and your part trial partner said, that was so good. And then you come back and now you're going to lunch and they're done. You're going, that lying son of a bitch, God almighty, I can't believe it. I can't wait to prove. Well, you just lost opening because you don't get a rebuttal in opening. So always think about, this is a big part of, 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 of don't eat the bruises. You got to think in advance of what their opening is going to look like and don't let them take free shots because the jury's going to think, I thought you had a good case. Why didn't you tell me about that? And you know what else they're going to think? If it's an important fact of the jury and they laid it out and hurts and you didn't talk about it, they're going to think you don't have anything to talk about. It must be right or you would have. So in your preparation, funnel your mind through how's opening going to sound when it's all done. 
all said and done, yours and theirs, and make damn sure when you go to lunch and they're done, you're still patting yourself on the back. And build everything in your prep around opening with a recognition of don't ever forget about best foot forward, but that best foot forward needs to make sure it doesn't step in any pitfalls. That's all great stuff. Um, so we talked earlier about the the two books that you've written that are obviously very popular in this community. We want to encourage our younger attorneys that maybe haven't read it to read those books to read them. So one way to encourage them, I wanted to ask you, when you go to a conference and you're striking up a conversation with someone that has read the books, what are some of the more common takeaways that they've had that have really improved their practice? Yeah, I hear it. And one thing, go to trial guides to get it. If you go to like Amazon, which we all do, I get everything off Amazon. Got Amazon Prime. It's the best thing in the world. But they, they the price is significantly more. If you're independently wealthy, get it off Amazon. Otherwise, go to trial guides. It's still not cheap, but it's a significant list. And the first book has a discount code, Mitnick Morgan, M-I-T-N-I-K, not C-K, M-I-T-N-I-K, and then Morgan, five. Mitnick Morgan five. And there's a discount code on don't eat the bruises, but go to trial guides because their price is the best you can get it for. Um, the takeaways that I get often are Voidire questions. Well, how would you handle this in Voidire? And, and my answer is usually you ask yourself, you got to be fearless in Voidire. I bring up all kinds of bad stuff. I had a drunk driver one time. I represented the drunk. I mean, drunk as a skunk. And I'm not talking about like 1% over. I'm, she was like near catatonic. But she's in her lane going 30 in a 30. And some jackass pulled out from around a big bush who had a stop sign. There was no stop sign for her in a big clunky truck right smack in front of her. And she had a second to react. They just barely were able to get it into evidence through their accident reconstruction on perception reaction time. But her driving had nothing to do with it. You could have been sober as a, you know, as a nun and it wouldn't have mattered. You were going to hit that truck. Um, but you think about trying that case. So from, from the Vordire perspective, I asked, you know, I did my little pies and mustard barbecue sauce or something like that on the front. And then I asked, just ask, how many of you think if somebody is drunk and driving? And I'm not talking about the little over the limit. I'm talking about drunk. And they put their key in the ignition put it in drive and drive down a public road with other people on it. And they get in the crash and they're bringing a lawsuit for their injuries in the crash. I'm talking about the person who was drive, driving dr drunk. How many of you say, no way should they be able to collect on principle? I don't care what the evidence showed, even if the alcohol had zero to do with it. They ain't getting a dime on my watch as a matter of principle. Well, I got rid of half the room. Then I asked how many of you say she's at least partially at fault, no matter what the evidence says, even if it doesn't. Even if it had nothing to do with it on a matter of principle, they got to at least take some blame. And it was, you know, I'd get everybody but one person. I went through like six panels to get six people. And we went with no alternate because we the judge wouldn't bring another panel on. And, and, and we got a great verdict, a seven-figure verdict with no comparative. Now, half our jurors may go home with a Budweiser in their lap at the end of the day. But, but my point is... It, you got to be fearless to go after it. And when I get that question, I always tell them be fearless to go after it. It makes all the difference. Don't worry about muddying it up. It's going to get plenty muddy if you don't cover it as soon as it's too late and you're in the, you got jurors seated. But there are certain things you're not going to get any anything out of. People ask all the time, do you voir dire the question of 
these um, liens, you know, a doctor takes a lien, or we call them in Florida letters of protection, where they're going to get paid from the proceeds from the suit. I don't void dire that because, you know, not because I'm scared of it, because I've thought through how is it going to work? As soon as I start talking about it, the jury's going to say, well, you got to tell me some more. As soon as I try to tell them some more, they're going to object. I'm pre-trying the case. Judge will say, yeah, let's leave it out. I'm going to bring up the one subject they don't want to talk about and get nothing out of it, get stopped. So you got to think, is it something that will fit a cause challenge series of questions? And if not, then deal with it differently. Just as an example on that one, I know how to deal with it. I just don't deal with that one in Vordire. I get up an opening and I say, now listen, in case some of y'all are worrying and some people do worry, how do we know if they give them money for past medical expenses that it's actually going to go to the, the doctor or healthcare providers that have the bills outstanding? How do, how do you know it's going to go there? Because they're not going to be on the verdict form. Well, I can tell you, you can take that off your worry list. My client has already entered into a written binding contract with those people that guarantees if you find for her, the money designated for that will go for them. No ifs, ands, and buts. It's called a letter of protection. I'm going to put in evidence to show you. So you don't need to worry about that. That's been taken care of. So now the defense gets up and says, there's a letter of protection. They try to make you look bad. And the jury's going, well, he already told us about that. It sounded like they were doing the honorable thing. So there are ways to deal with some of the problems. So my point is, People often ask about more dire questions, and the answer is don't be scared of it, but make sure you're, it's going to be fruitful for cause challenges. And if it's not going to fit a cause challenge model, then then don't don't make it worse by talking about it. The other thing I get a lot of is is um, just people know I'm a problem solver, and they want to bring me. I got. Let me. Can I tell you about this case? This is my problem. This it's it, it, this is the one I'm worried about. And, you know, I love that. I, sometimes we do it live at seminars. I have them throw them out because I love the problem solving. It, you know, I just told my wife I do them in our firm. When I'm not in trial all day, I do like four or five a day, small strategy groups where we do nothing but that. And they, it's, it's like I'm in the middle of something else. I'm reading some transcripts or something. I go, damn it, I got another one of these. I grumble. I got off last night. I grumbled. And I said, damn it, I, I got like five of them today. I'm, I can't get anything done. Soon as I hung up, I told my wife, I happened to be working from home that day. Um, I said, you know, I grumble. I love those things. It is so satisfying to problem solve and see other people go, oh, I see how you're doing that. So those are the main stuff I get at questions. Perfect. Keith, we're getting so close to the end. You did say you could speak all day. So maybe, you know, one day we'll have to get you on all day. You can tell all your stories. Um, This is our second last question. I want to talk a little bit about fear and another one that I did ask Nick about as well. So it'd be interesting to compare both your answers. Do you still experience fear as a trial lawyer, even though you've been doing this for such a long time? And how do you manage it so it doesn't hinder your performance? Yes. I no longer have performance anxiety. I won't like, we'll, they'll have a big stud expert. And I know if I don't bring them down, we could lose. And I feel a great weight on my shoulders because I look at what I have to work with and I'm thinking, I don't have any smoking guns here. And he's their star witness for closing. And this could be the whole case. And everyone's looking as Mitnick, he's going to get him. And I'm like, I don't know if I can get him. And I'm, I'm thinking, I just don't, I'm not a magician and I'm not holding the cards to get him. Now, thankfully, usually they hand you the ace somewhere in the middle that you didn't have beforehand. And, and that's one of the things when you do it longer, you, your instincts fire immediately. Go, I, I see there it is right there the minute they open their mouth and, and deliver that gift. But 
I still feel a lot of, and when it's over and you got them, it's like, whoo, yes. But so, yes, but my biggest fear, it's not a fear of performance. That's kind of a performance anxiety. It's not, am I going to screw it up? It's that everybody's counting on me to get them. I'm not sure I got what it, it takes to get them. But the, the real fear that I retain is fear of losing because it's so painful um, and it stays with you so long. And, and I, 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 I pat myself in the back and I kick myself in the butt. And I spend a lot more time kicking myself in the butt than patting myself in the back. Um, and the closer I get to ver- closing argument, the more anxious I get. That's why I love high lows. It gives you peace of mind. Look, we've already won before the verdict comes out. But so, and by the time we're done with closing and the adrenaline wears off, that is the most stressful. And when they march in the court and, you know, read the verdict, it's just like death. And when you win, I swear it's not, yay. It's, thank God we didn't lose. And then, then by the time you, you're classy, you shake hands, you act like you know you're not that excited, and elevator doors close, and it's oh yeah, and then you start really celebrating. But that fear of losing. So what's the the answer though? Is what do you do with it? And I made a comment earlier because I remind myself of it all the time. You can never lose your nerve over whatever your fear is: fear of losing, fear of fear of um, performance anxiety, whatever it is. You just got to remind yourself, your fear is not unique. Any lawyer says, I, I don't have any fear. They're, they're either crappy lawyers or they don't care or they're, or they're lying. Um, I guarantee you, Nick said he's scared. He did. Yes. We, Nick's a dear friend of mine and, 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 and he and Courtney and, and I know we share, we're, we are real different styles, but we're, when you get down to our DNA, we're, he could be a, a a blood brother of mine, but um, it's what you do with it. And it, I use it as motivation. I say, I hate to lose. And you know what? When everyone else is going to sleep at one and I'm up till two, it's part of it. It's like, look, I need to get some sleep. I'm not young anymore. You need to be sharp tomorrow. And I get in bed and I get right back up. You know why? Verdict time's coming. It's motivating. It's like, God damn it, if you if you don't get up, if you don't do this, you're gonna if you lose, you're already gonna hate yourself. But if you went to bed early that one night, you're gonna you're gonna convince yourself that's why. So it pushes you and pushes you. But you know, not just the hard work. It all this stuff I'm talking about, the art of outsmarting and all, and the stuff I talked about, that loss I had that brought about my my uh jury systems, and I had some help from a guy named um Jay Burke, who was a brilliant. Um, jury consultant in Florida who had a head start on some great ideas and I had, was fortunate enough to hire him and work and then I've taken some of his and developed from that my, my own stuff and there's always a significant part of his in it. I'll always be grateful to Jay. But the point is the drive to outsmart them, the drive to look at those problems, say, how am I going to beat those problems? How am I going to own those problems? How am I going to make them not a problem? Make them my, their problem. My problem is going to be their problem now. All of that comes from that hatred of losing. So it's okay. Just don't let fear debilitate you. Let it motivate you. That's my best answer because you're not going to get rid of it. Uh, you know, we don't, I'd rather call it something other than fear. I hate losing. But, but at the end of the day, it, it scares the shit out of me. So it's okay. 
Brian Panish is one of the greatest lawyers in history. And he's also a dear friend of mine out in LA. And, you know, Brian is as tough as they come. He played college football. He's a giant, got a booming voice. I have asked him if he's scared. Panish may have a hard time admitting it, but he is. He, he couldn't win as much as he wins if he hadn't been fired up because of fear. So don't let that stop you from what we're doing. It's such a glorious thing to do. It, I, I just want to give you two parting things. One, especially with all these ideas, I always feel bad when I get off. I think I wish I'd have brought this up or this up or shared this. And I feel like I shortchanged people. If you're going to take your time and take an hour out of however long this is to listen, I want to leave you with something worthwhile. And I always feel like I could have at least talked about that. That one would have really been useful instead of carrying on so much about some trial you lost years ago. So well, the thing that gives me peace of mind is this. In addition to the books, something that I do that is nothing but little short gems. You don't have to sit and read a whole book. I keep them at 15 minutes. And if I do them in writing, never more. I shouldn't say never. I think one of them went four pages. But my goal is never go over three pages. Most of them are one to one and a half pages. And they are either at my website, keithmitnick.com. I have these free audio podcasts that are 10, 15 minutes, and they're just little trial gems, one a month. And I've done them for four years, and they're all on there. Um, and I'm about to do a bunch more. Um, and then during COVID, I couldn't, at that point, I was going to New York City to record them. And I couldn't go up to New York in the heat of the beginning of COVID. And I had all this new stuff I wanted to get out. And I realized, wait a minute, just, I got this listserv I never use. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them out. And I call them at home but not alone brushstrokes. And I just typed up what I would have said. And I started sending them out every week. Now that I'm back really in earnest trying cases every week, I'm more like one a month. But I think there are 42 or three of them out there and I'm going to keep doing them. And they're free. They're just my way. I had people taught me. Not everybody has that opportunity. It is a calling to me to play it forward and pass forward and be as good a mentor or at least share with as many people as I can because we all have a common goal, which is defeat injustice. And and rising tide lifts all boats. So if you want to get any of those, email me at kmitnick. Again, don't put N-I-C-K. I won't get it. K-M-I-T-N-I-K at forthepeople.com. F-O-R, thepeople.com. And also include my assistant, Mary Arnold. And it's just marnold at forthepeople.com. And just say, hey, I enjoyed it. I'd like to be on your list, sir, and get those those things you were talking about. I'll send, she'll send you the whole package of all the old ones and you'll get all the new ones. I don't get anything out of it other than feeling like I'm paying back to the trial gods that, that have been so kind to me. And the last thing I just wanted to say to everybody, just as encouragement, because what we do is hard. Um, it, it is a total joy to me, but God knows it's hard. The time it takes, the chunks of your soul and your heart it takes. The, the chunks it can take out of you and your family. It's just a demanding, it's not for everybody. Um, remind yourself when it, it's a dark time, you lost a case, things aren't going good, you know, just whatever. We all know it happens all the time. How many jobs are there where there's someone on the other side whose sole purpose in life is trying to fuck up everything you're trying to accomplish. Professional athletes. What else is there? Except we get to wear a suit. You know, we get to dress up. 
put on a, a business dress and suit and do it. And our bodies don't get torn up from it. But it's it's something to be proud of. How many people could do a job that every day someone's designated, paid a lot of money, very skilled, and their sole purpose is to make you fail at everything? And we succeed. That's something to go, you know what? I'm special that I can do that. And lastly, the ultimate honor to me is somebody has picked you to stand up for them when they couldn't stand up for themselves. Now that's a gift. So we are some of the most fortunate professionals in the world. It's worth every ounce of it. Keith, I think John Romano said that you're a, a very generous man. And I think that was understated. This has been uh, really a special episode for us. Uh, I, I know uh, I probably speak for Courtney. This is, this is going to be one for the record books and down the road, we'd love for you to come back and maybe yeah. join Nick Rowley and we yeah. can have, have like a panel, like uh, masters of trial lawyers. <laughs> Listen, you said Nick, God almighty, look, I've got my damn shirt popping up. You tell, um, if you get Nick there, I'll, I'll come to Alaska to do it. So we're, I think the world of it. So I really hope you enjoyed this two part interview with Keith Mitnick for our trial all-star series. Stay tuned for more great episodes coming your way on Settlement Nation podcast. And remember to like, subscribe, and comment on guests that you would like to see in the future. We really aim to bring you guys the best in the industry to help with your fight for justice. So thank you once again for tuning in, and I'll see you soon on Settlement Nation.